from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number six with guest Wes Miller, recorded Thursday, May 3rd, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, offering professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. Hey, it's Richard Campbell, and you're listening to Run As Radio, and with me always, Greg Hughes. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm having a great time, man, and here we are into our second month of Run As, and things are going really well. We've been speaking to some really smart people with a lot of great information, having a good time getting the information out and hearing from the audience. Indeed. And I have an email that is very relevant to that. It says, uh, hi, Richard and Greg. Great show. Are there any plans to get the feed on iTunes? If I have to use another method of downloading a podcast, I tend to miss shows. But if it's in iTunes, I'll get them all. Thanks, John Meyer. Problem solved. Yeah. Yep, we dealt with that. Yeah, in fact, uh, actually, on I believe it was it was May the fourth, we received notification from uh, Apple that we have been successfully added to iTunes. And uh, Richard, I believe you've even fired it up and made sure that it works properly. Yes, I fired up iTunes. I'm not a huge fan of iTunes myself. Yeah, me either, but I, I understand that a lot of people like to use it, and I understand why. One of the things that Pwop's done, so Carl Franklin is is Pwop Productions and does all our editing and makes everything sound so good, all of the shows are perfectly tagged. Our pictures are on it, the uh, the podcast tags and so forth now. So uh, the iTunes experience is great. If you can find Run As, and I just tried searching podcasts for the word Run As, uh-huh. and up came a show, I subscribed to it, and all of the past shows are there for you to download. Very, very easy to deal with. Ah, sounds like they've made some improvements over at the iTunes factory. Things seem to be working well there now. So well, that's good to know. It is good. And it's uh, definitely more challenging to do those things uh, without iTunes. I think the software you know, iTunes got its problems, but it seems to be better than everything else that's out there. Well, me, I may just have to fire that up and give it another try. <laughs> and if you want to send us an email, fire it to info at runasradio.com, and we'll be happy to uh, read your email on the air. If you've got ideas for shows, you want to change some things, you'd like stuff to be different, uh, we're listening. All right, Greg, let's introduce Wes Miller. Uh, Wes Miller, a former Microsoft employee from uh, 97 to 2004, uh, worked as a program manager for the Windows Core OS development team on Windows Setup, uh, also involved with Windows PE, a very cool product, one of my favorites too, and uh, the program manager responsible for the WIM image format and ImageX, the imaging tool, uh, involved with uh, Windows deployment services and also briefly involved with Longhorn. Uh, left in 2004 to work with uh, the guys at Win Internals, and then it was acquired by Microsoft. Looks like you couldn't get away from them. And now with Pluck.com in Austin, Texas, and uh, currently a contributing editor for Microsoft TechNet magazine. Welcome, Wes. Hi. Hey there, Wes. Great to chat with you guys this morning. Yeah, glad to talk to you. Uh, so, spent some time with Microsoft. Yeah, I was up there for just a little over seven years. It's almost seven and a half years, and uh, just uh, decided it was time for a change and headed down to Texas to work for uh, for Mark Rusinovich at Winternals for a while. It did, I guess without knowing that you know, less than two years later, they'd be a part of Microsoft. 
yeah, that was definitely not part of the plan, not a horrible plan, but uh, still it was a, a great experience working with Mark and uh, learned an immense amount. So it was a, a fun thing to do. And it's always interesting to be on the acquisition side of a Microsoft acquisition to see how things happen on that side too. So. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm sure you were, you'd had the experience on the other side being inside of Microsoft before. Yeah, you, you see a lot of a different story. I bet. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and the Winternals guys, I mean, remarkable products, great stuff, uh, certainly for folks like us who have to keep windows up and running. Those were essential tools as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And now pluck.com. And I've never been really sure exactly what it is pluck does. Well, it's what are we doing this year? And we actually (laughs) started out with with an RSS reader, which is actually what most people know us for. Um, But we actually had uh, a different genre we were looking at last year. And the thing we actually have had uh, an immense amount of success with, we've been doing for just a little over a year now, we do one product called Blog Burst, which is basically uh, blog syndication. And then the product that I'm actually the development development manager for is uh, our SiteLife product, which is a, a product that lets uh, what you think of as maybe static content publishers, traditional online media, uh, pretty easily inject a, more of a social uh, aspect into their site. So blogs, forums, comments, that kind of thing. If you see USA Today, for example, that's actually a an implementation of our product behind the scenes on their new redesign. So I see. So, of course, when I think about those kinds of components, I think .NET Nuke and uh, Community Server. But it seems like you're more working with the existing site to just add some functionality. Right. We work instead of as a, as a more of a box product. We're definitely a, uh, an ASP model, and we're working on trying to make the technology really easily injected. So we're actually, in a, I guess you'd sort of say, a different spot of the the marketplace versus community server. I uh, definitely appreciate what the guys at Intelligent do, but um, definitely at a different market. And uh, the funny thing is we're still very much a .NET shop as well. So .NET, all 64-bit, uh, very, very much Microsoft still. And of course, you mentioned 64-bit because uh, the my first contact with you was reading a great piece you did in the uh, TechNet magazine about 64-bit deployment. And it's certainly been a, a bug in my ear to why we just don't seem to find 64-bit machines on the desktop the way we thought we would. Yeah, it's definitely been something interesting for me to watch. Um, you know, the, the era I worked at Microsoft was... Uh, was over the epoch when they began making the migration from 32 to 64, and actually when I joined Windows in uh, in 2000, they were right in the uh, the the beginnings of uh, of IA64 or Itanium. I and I often wonder about how much the Itanium ultimately hurt the 64-bit deployment. I think it it didn't really hurt it per se, but it hurt the thoughts that a lot of people have of what is 64-bit. I think uh, if anybody actually stepped in, put their foot in the water, and looked at the Itanium and said, oh, wow, this is 64-bit computing, they were really kind of intimidated and scared. And uh, AMD saw the same opportunity when they came out with their original AMD 64 architecture. You know, the, the more and more I worked with people uh, from AMD way back when, when we first started hearing about the AMD 64 architecture within Microsoft, you really got a sense, I, at least I got a sense, having done a lot of corporate deployments, that a lot of enterprises were going to look at this and say, wow, this is really interesting because I can run all my old apps, I can run all my new apps. If I don't want to go to 64 yet, I can run 32, I can run 64 where I need to. You could really mix and match a lot more versus the Itanium. It was very, you deploy it, it's there, and you had to have a very specific set of applications designed for Itanium. To you got to jump over the wall. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so things have improved pretty significantly 
since those days. I know, yeah, it'd be, I'd be interesting. I've been looking forward to speaking with you and getting your take on the 64-bit desktop and where we stand today. I know that, you know, having installed 64-bit Vista, for example, there's some frustrations that I've, I've experienced right off the bat with, with this machine that I have running, running Vista under 64-bit, just in terms of compatibility. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's actually kind of interesting you mentioned that uh, Vista, and so you, you all had, had mentioned uh, earlier the, the article which I wrote, and th- I think that there's actually a, an interesting opportunity here for, for Vista to take, take hold in a market where people wouldn't have historically thought it could, which is in the 64-bit space. So, as I, as I mentioned in the, uh, the article which, I, which we spoke about earlier and then the Tech Ed session that I'll actually be doing in Orlando this summer – uh, are both based on the the discussion of x64 as a move forward um, and and definitely mentioning the fact that Vista is sort of an interesting opportunity there because a lot of companies I know are looking at Vista as far as a hardware refresh because in order to really take advantage of it, you're going to have to look at new hardware anyway. And the interesting thing for me has been in doing the research both for the article and for the tech ed session I'm doing this summer, uh, I actually come to the point that versus two years ago when we started looking at x64 work within Winternals, uh, and uh you know thinking about the direction for x64 whether we needed to care about it for our products uh it's interesting to note that today 100% of intel's products are 64 bit capable and almost 100% of amd's products are so we've gone from the place where the cpus themselves were niche to the point that any processor you buy today now is x64 capable if it's exactly. you know, the ones that they're selling today there's a lot of stuff in the channel but the new ones are all 64-bit, so you can explore going this way with Vista versus you wouldn't have if you were doing XP because you you couldn't couldn't find machines that could do it. So, and with the more more commonplace hardware and software, the operating system being 64-bit, I know I've spoken with others and experienced myself the the benefits. One of the big places we've seen 64-bit benefits is in server virtualization. Um, and just being able to, you know, for that core baseline OS to run a bunch of virtual machines on that we've seen great value in that area. Most definitely. You know, the, the things that, that 64 bits a lot better at are specifically, you know, handling a lot more tasks, uh, with the additional registers it's got, but also being able to, uh, handle significantly more RAM. I mean, yeah, I think Windows. I thought it was all about the memory, really. Uh, it, when you come down to it, it really is all about the memory, unless you've got an app that specifically knows how to take advantage of that extra functionality. Yeah, of course, uh, I spent so much time on the database side of the equation, and we were the, we we're the first guys that ran out of memory, so we're the first guys who needed 64-bit so desperately. Right. Uh, but I found that an interesting challenge to all of this was, I know we've had 64-bit processors forever, but it's the rest of the architecture that really hasn't been 64-bit savvy, and I'm talking mostly about BIOS problems, memory holes, and things like that to actually address more than three gigs of RAM. Yeah, the, you know, the interesting thing is actually within the OS, and then and then stretching, like you said, on top of of the BIOS. You know, one of the advantages actually on that same same uh, same area is Windows. Um, the Microsoft Windows team actually took the opportunity when when implementing X64 to say, from here on out, everything is ACPI compliant. So right. instead of the six HALs you could have before plus custom HALs, you've got one. Everything is either ACPI ACPI uniprocessor or ACPI multiprocessor. So you got a little bit better guarantee, but of course you're still at the the mercy of the BIOS implementation. Well, who's going to have a uniprocessor machine going forward now? Really, realistically, uh, almost no one, because you know when you're talking about in an era of multi-core, you know, my 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 laptop machine, which is a generic Inspiron machine, 
is a multi-core, hence a actual multi-processor machine from the perspective of Windows. So, you know, in an era of, of dual going into quad and heck, octcore by uh, what next year? Yeah, the way we're going now. Um, yeah, uniprocessor machines or single processor machines are effectively, I think, a thing of the past, especially as we're looking at 64-bit. I think quite completely obsolete. Uh, and it, so I'm thinking these motherboard issues are one of the big stumbling blocks when we try and take 64-bit to the desktop, that we're not getting the results we expect. I think that's, that is a significant part of it. I mean, you're, you're definitely at the, the mercy of the motherboard up to really take advantage of the architecture. And I think the, the other huge thing is, uh, we're a shop that we don't plan on jumping into Vista or Longhorn in particular, uh, anytime soon. So we're actually working with, uh, what was effectively the Windows Server 2003 Service Pack 1 and now Service Pack 2 code base. Right. So, all of our servers are running 64-bit. And then, you know, we spoke of the virtualization and stacking machines up. So we're definitely taking advantage of the extra memory there. And then on the client side, I personally have felt the pain. It's less the BIOS issue, and it's actually more for XP64, it's the finding drivers. Finding you know, there's, drivers. There's exactly. whole communities out there that are devoted just to this today. So, yeah, I find it fascinating to find folks that say, you know, this driver here for this product it's actually for the same chipset as this other product. So you can use this driver. It'll work. Exactly. Brand Foo will work with Brand Bar. You just have to twist this inf a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely something you've seen. And you know, one of the nice things that Microsoft actually did for, for the X64 ecosystem was in Vista, and hence for Longhorn servers, it goes forward. Uh, you basically, as a driver vendor, you know, for one, they have to re-architect their drivers anyway, but they have to do a 64-bit first. And they can have an x86 if they want to. Of course, they'll want to because the market's not just going to go away tomorrow. But right. the neat thing is that makes sure that there's a whole ecosystem that's ready for 64 for you know for companies like there's a lot of CAD CAM CAE shops out there that that can immediately take advantage of this. And those are the kind of companies that were clamoring for 64 bit forever anyway. Sure, I need my eight gig desktop machine right now. Mm-hmm. So you, I, a whole bunch of stuff has got to work in 64-bit for that to happen. And CAD CAM's terrible for that because there's so many unusual peripherals oh, yeah. involved. Very, very challenging. And I wonder, you know, you, you suggested that Vista is this great opportunity for 64-bit. And I, I went out and got myself a Dell M90 laptop, which was 64-bit, because I didn't want to deal with the issues. I figured, Dell, let Dell fix it. <laughs> uh, but... Microsoft's gone to the trouble of adding this extra problem with the 64-bit Vista implementation with requiring certified drivers. And requiring it won't work without it. Right. Yeah, and it's actually, it's one of those, uh, I guess you could say, mixed blessings. Um, you know, it's great from a security perspective, but it's bad because your drivers have to have been run through the driver signing gauntlet. So, um, you know, the reality is, Drivers for Vista are, you know, we're, we're, we're all, honestly, it's sort of the same place we were with Windows XP a long time ago. I remember people when XP first came out clamoring that oh, there's no drivers, no device support for anything. And eventually we did start to see it. But I think the driver signing requirement will make 64 bit harder. But I think you'll find because they require 64 in front of 32, it'll actually make it so drivers themselves may lag a little bit for Vista overall. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm also, I mean, one of the big concerns you have with signing is getting those new versions of drivers out become a much larger ordeal. Absolutely. And it makes me worry that we're going to finally get a driver. It's going to be pretty minimalist, and it's going to take a long time to get it upgraded. 
Right. I yeah. think the other the other thing to consider is, you know, how do those drivers get enhanced and improved over time? Certainly that's one thing with Windows drivers that we've seen a lot of is, you know, it's not perfect when it first comes out. So with the signing into each iteration of the driver, you know, how does that impact the ability of of uh, of us to to even see new drivers on the market if they have to be signed each time? Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely putting the onus back on the driver vendor, you know, since they can at least still do testing internally. But there's definitely going to be a higher bar they're going to have to cross in order to get those drivers out. So I think you're probably right that it's going to be longer between each iteration and uh, you know, it's the, it's the classic thing we saw with Windows XP where you got the signed driver and the signed driver included N functionality. And if you actually went out and you looked at the driver that came with the thing or that you could find that was unsigned, it came with N plus lots of neat one type functionality right. that you couldn't get anywhere else. And really, it's a good thing. I mean, raising the bar is, is probably a good thing. You know, if you give two different paths, then, you know, your driver vendor or really anybody doing whatever they do is going to take that path of least resistance. And, and, uh, so, you know, closing the easier path and putting one in place that does have a higher standard is not necessarily a bad thing, but it does seem to mean that the 64-bit version of the desktop operating system, from a practical usability standpoint, is a slower adoption rate just as a result. Yeah, you actually bring up a really interesting point, and I think one of the things that I, I, I may not have driven home in my article well enough, but I'm definitely doing in the uh, this summer's Tech Ed session, is the the idea that X64 will be capable or will be successful, excuse me, in the, in the server market much sooner than it will be in the, in the client market. In fact, one could argue today that X64 has already got the, the baby steps of being successful. And absolutely. We're using it, uh, exchange bet the farm on it for the yeah. new version. So, I mean, it's, like, to your point of databases, that you'll see the same kind of moves from every major team inside Microsoft because they need that room. Uh, in order to move. Well, I think, I mean, Exchange's SQL Server, if you're, if you're considering buying new servers and you're not considering 64-bit, you got to take a thought again because oh, that's absolutely. what they're meant for. Absolutely. IIS is a funny beast, actually, because I just haven't seen a lot of traction around 64-bit for IIS. Yeah, and I think it actually has more to do, I, I'm not sure what interesting work they may have done, for example, in uh, in IIS 7 and Longhorn Server. I should poke around at that a little bit, actually. It's an interesting topic um, to see maybe they've taken advantage of some of the register work functionality there. Right. There's some things they could do. Memory isn't as big of a problem for them until you start involving the .NET framework. Yes. And then it'd be interesting to see if the .NET framework guys have done much work for uh, for that kind of memory utilization. But I can't recall seeing uh, web projects that can get that colossal. You're, you're exactly right. It's not the IIS team that's going to be interested in 64-bit. It's the ASP.NET guys. And that requires a version of the framework that's really going to take advantage of those large blocks of memory. Right. So maybe one of the things we'll see, I, I, I'm sure there'll be a service pack or something due out after Longhorn Server. And then, you know, the work they're doing on Orcus, there's probably some work they're doing, looking at doing in there that maybe x64 optimization. Another thought occurred to me while we were going through this process that made me think 64-bit on the desktop is going to be an enterprise product, not a consumer product. Absolutely. You know, the, the end of the day, we, uh, you know, it's not like, uh, a lot of us had Nintendo 8-bit systems that were replaced with Nintendo 16-bit systems and et cetera, et cetera. You don't go out, get a new one, bring it home. Uh, my mom and dad won't have a 64-bit machine at home running a 64-bit operating system for, oh, I would bet maybe five, maybe 10 years. That long? Really? Yeah, you, you just, 
you're not going to see the. It's, I think it's going to honestly be a Vista plus one thing. I'm not even going to attach whatever code names they've got to them this year, but. Right. You know, it's going to be the major release, not the minor release following Vista, where you're going to have a real kickstart in the 64-bit in the home. Because OEMs are are really interested in, for logical reasons, whatever makes them the most money fastest. Of course. And consumers at home just aren't clamoring for 64 because, well, they don't have anything that's going to eat that kind of data. But the enterprise, for the most part, isn't clamoring for those features either. But you look at what they're doing in 64-bit with the control over drivers and so forth, these sort of restrictions on changing things in the machine, that is stuff that enterprise cares about. It's Yeah, and it's not necessarily something that an enterprise might care about initially, but they may look at it and go, wow, you know, I scratch my head, I think about it for a second, it's probably not a bad idea to have that there. And the the beauty of, you know, having worked in the enterprise deployment side of Microsoft for as long as I did, you know, we came to the realization that customers, as a general rule, there are some who do, but customers don't generally take old machines, upgrade Windows on them, literally use the classic upgrade of Windows, right. and then, you know, run them again with the new operating system on them. They'll do a wipe and reload, or they'll do a hardware refresh at the same time, or if they're leasing, they'll actually throw out the old hardware, get the new hardware from the leasing vendor. You know, the point is they're doing a hardware refresh at the same time they're taking Windows, at the same time they're taking Office, which you'll see why Office and Windows came out at the same time together. Yes. Um, but I think you'll find some companies who are looking at that, and, you know, they may have spent too much time in the past with one image for x86 for non-ACPI, one for ACPI, et cetera, et cetera. They spent all this time managing images and, and trying to keep costs down. And the beauty of x64 as a deployment engine is, you know, there's really, there's one image for everything. You don't have to worry about all the how gunk you had to worry about in the past. Microsoft has touted the 64-bit edition is just a 64-bit edition, but it's there's a bunch of uh, underlying changes that have much larger consequences long term. Most definitely, you know, you've got the security changes, you've got the performance enhancements that are there, but, you know, additional memory. Um, there's there's aspects of the OS that the average consumer will never see, uh, you know, dealing with memory and things that are in there. Uh, but at the end of the day, within an enterprise, you're going to find a, a very small segment of the enterprise desktop that will will go 64 just to go 64. Right. Uh, it's again, it's going to be back to CAD CAM shops. I, I I distinctly remember. I can't place the year, but I remember an email that crossed in a discussion list. It was probably five years ago at Microsoft from. Uh, insert automaker vendor uh, or auto vendor here. Right. And it was saying, uh, my customer's really upset because they can no longer load this gigantic CAD drawing on their 32-bit workstations. When are we going to be able to expand 32 to hold this much memory? And the answer really was never. Never. <laughs> so, you know, for customers like that, you got, you know, you've got at least, uh, well, let's say three customers in the United States who are interested <laughs> in 64-bit on the desktop, at least in certain segments of their uh, organization. You know, the big three and your truck vendors, anyone using CAD, CAM, Pro-E, that kind of uh, of architecture uh, of product that knows how to use that amount of memory f- to its advantage, is still going to have a logical move in the uh, in the workstation market. Yeah, so I think there, you've got a significant chunk of the market, although I still think probably single-digit percentage of the overall market that genuinely need the horsepower in, in both memory and processing that 64-bit offers. But for your average office enterprise guy, there's no reason to move to 64-bit. No, this is the same, you know, why would I move to the next version of insert product name here? Yes. Why would I go to Office? Why would I go to Office 2003? It's the same argument. 
And unless you've got a specific need, it may not make sense for you. I think it's interesting. I don't think Microsoft's articulated this message that the secure memory model, the secure driver models that are in the 64-bit OS provide some incentive in the IT side of the world for deploying this into the enterprise. Mm-hmm. No, they, they definitely haven't messaged that, and you haven't seen it messaged from uh, from either uh, either of the two chip vendors out there either. As far as why would I want to go 64-bit? So that's something I'm at least on a on a personal uh, tour. I'm I'm definitely trying to talk about because it's definitely something that's one of the reasons why you might think about it. And it does strike me that it isn't ripe yet, anyway. No, it's 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 early, and uh, you know it, it's funny because uh, you look at the uh, the other predominant. Uh, architecture out there you look at the mac and you, you look at their 64-bit and they're they're still very much doing baby steps as well trying to figure out where it makes sense and they've had a little bit better more of a smooth transition that customers generally don't feel uh but i've definitely been noticing the same sort of uh we're not really sure where it would make sense so we're not pushing it not going to push too hard on right. it yet uh it may also seems to me if this is really the direction we're ultimately going to go in that you're going to see uh, a class of workstations for the enterprise, you know, built by the major vendors, the Dells and the Hewlett Packards and so forth, that are 64-bit through and through and aimed at the business customer, the enterprise customer, totally separate from the consumer. And we haven't had that in quite a while. Right. It's probably something, now that I think about it, it's probably been a good eight, nine years since I know uh, DEC was definitely a company that used to do that you know, a high-end workstation and then a, a not really a consumer class machine, but, you know, a lower-end machine for more of a, a smaller office. And uh, it's definitely something that you're right, you're going to see sort of a, a breakdown in the market there where engineering workstations are a little bit ahead. But looking back, it's actually sort of the same thing that, that was going on with the Itaniums because the Itanium, uh, I, I, I'm not sure I ever heard anyone say they thought it would be a home home machine. But it's definitely, you know, it was off in the corner and it was going to be its own architecture for the high, high end of the market. And <laughs> I think it's wound up a lot higher in the market than anybody expected it to be. Yeah, so high nobody could breathe up there. Exactly. It's it's become all about the very high end data center, not even about the workstation anymore. So, but I think you'll still see the high end workstation occupied by X64 for quite some time. So we're getting towards the end of the show here. Maybe we got to talk about uh, what I've got to do as an IT guy in my business right now to consider 64-bit. Because I, I think about what we've talked about so far, and for the most part, I'm thinking, oh, good, I don't need to think about this yet. Well, yeah, and that's actually a, a probably a dangerous thing to, to put off. It's a lot like you know your, your visit to the dentist. You want to think about when you want to do it. Right. And the reason why I decided to write this article for TechNet was specifically because uh, I think a lot of people who are investigating Vista need to think about this because as far as minimizing your expenses, now is honestly the right time to at least have it in the back of your head as, as far as a when do I need to care kind of thing. So if you're going to move to Vista, you really should be thinking about moving to Vista 64? Uh, at least I think it's something you should be thinking about, or at least within certain segments of your your organization, you should think about, is there some place where this makes sense? You know, I, I worked a lot with some enterprise customers who their whole story was about, how do I get down to one image? Some to the degree that they were doing incredible engineering exercises to get there, and probably net-net saving money in the process. But uh, for going into Vista, if you're going to have X64 anywhere, then you might want to think about, having it everywhere, or right. at least having it in, in a certain geographical area of your organization. 
but that sounds to me like all new hardware. There's very few machines I can upgrade to Vista 64 successfully. Now, the interesting thing is you could look at that same argument and make the same exact point about Vista itself. Because yeah, if you want AeroGlass, uh, or if you want to take advantage of BitLocker, you need to start talking about having a TPM, for example. So there's a lot of things in Vista that if you really want the, you know, if you want good enough, you can upgrade relatively recent hardware and get there. But if you want the real, you know, true Vista, quote, best of breed experience, you're going to pretty much have to have at least, you know, a year old or less hardware anyway, in which case it probably runs 64-bit as well. Well, anything that's less than a year old right now came with a certificate to upgrade to Vista. Yeah, that's true. That's actually really true. There's a, you know, the, the upgradability aspect of it. Um, so you, you, you've had that opportunity to, to upgrade and, and think about it in the sense of the, uh, the certificate. Maybe I should just go ahead and, and use that to move to Vista as well and move to 64, but at the same time. So. Yeah, makes sense to do it, move it all at once if you're going to move it at all. But, and we touched on this only briefly, on the server side, this really isn't a debate anymore. I wonder if we're finally going to get to this point with the workstations in another year or two. I'm totally comfortable saying, if you're talking about mainstream server products from Microsoft like Exchange and SQL Server, 64-bit really is the only choice. Yeah, and I think you'll find for the server side, you know, I'm not going to pin a number on it because I, 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 I never know what kind of numbers to throw at, at when Microsoft products are going to ship, uh, but I've learned that's a dangerous game. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the aspect is, the, the perspective is that you're going to look at the server side and it's going to get there much, much sooner. And I think it's going to be, you know, just a number of years until at least when you look at Microsoft stuff, the server story, if not exclusively x64 is going to be, if you don't go x64, you're going to get this really primitive version, and you're going to get the the whole experience only when you go over to the the x64. You know, one of the we, we've sort of touched on the desktop or end users of software. We've touched on the server side of things. The, sort of fitting in between is what about IT shops that have an awful lot of programmers that are compiling a lot of software that are creating software that is maybe being used by consumers or on servers. What are the benefits of maybe Vista, you know, a 64-bit desktop? That's example. a really interesting point, too. And one of the things that uh, working where I did in Windows in the setup group, we actually worked on the build process for Longhorn, what eventually became Vista and Longhorn. Uh, and one of the things that was really uh, wonderful about the architecture was it was x86 on Tuesday. It was x64 on Wednesday. You know, it was whatever you needed it to be. Sure. Um, and, you know, the, the nice thing about modern tools like Visual Studio is even if you don't have, say, an, uh, an Itanium, they'll let you program for it and compile for it. Uh, but in order to do it optimally, you got to at least know what you're doing on that architecture. So I think shops who are developing for x86, which most consumer shops are going to be doing for a good long time, uh, still need to, to bear in mind the intricacies of x86. But uh, you know, I definitely know that within our development shop here, we've been able to appreciate x64 a lot just because the machines themselves can handle so much more memory and the workstations, our developer workstations are phenomenally fast when you start throwing that amount of memory at them. But is it safe to develop an x64 and compile uh, x86 apps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's more, the, the, you know, the division of the, the tool you're using to actually do the compilation, but... Now, when you look at it in Microsoft, there were guys who were developing code on x64s for x86, on x86 for Itanium, and you know you basically have to do some build time compilation. But the the compilation work is neutral enough that it can happen on any, any architecture as long as the compiler's there. Right. 
So it sounds like developers are good first consumers of these 64-bit workstations, just like the CAD guys are. Definitely. It's, you know, that high end of the market where they can start appreciating it uh, is where it starts to make sense. Now, the dollar value that can be established related to, you know, a developer waiting for 50% of the build time instead of 100% of the 32-bit build time, that can really add up. Absolutely. In an era where build time is everything, it's definitely something that can decrease build time. Yeah. More responsive machines mean more productive developers. Right. Uh, so uh, we talked a little bit about what you're doing at TechEd. Any other pieces we should know about? Um, well, like I'm, I'm actually going to be doing uh, a couple of pieces, looking at some pieces on, uh, on uh, potentially on defragmentation, talking about some of the technologies that are near and dear to my heart after having worked at Winternals for for two years. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, least uh, least user privilege things like that uh, related to user account control, but not necessarily user account control. Uh, you know, we developed a product that was sort of an enterprise type class of uh, of product that uh, many had compared to user account control. So looking at doing an article in that space as well. Um, definitely think I may wind up having to revisit X64. It's definitely one of the more popular articles I've done. I've gotten a lot of comments and questions about it since I did it. So it's, I think it was very timely. Yeah, absolutely. It, it jumped out at me. And certainly there's more to be dug in here. I think there's a whole discussion around 64-bit development environments as, as well as other workstation configurations and and mixing Vista into the equation in some ways I think complicates it a great deal, but it's also an opportunity to uh, to make some bigger moves. Right. Yeah, and I think like we were discussing, I think the server is where the big market's going to come. But thinking about Vista, since you know it's on everyone's mind, beginning now and going for the next couple of years, it's definitely something to have in mind. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Wes, thanks for your time. Really appreciated the discussion, and uh, I'm sure we'll be revisiting it in the near future. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Great. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. <laughs>